Hi, I'm Trevor Elio. And I'm Julie Stern, and this is Conceptually Speaking, the show where we interview experts to uncover the concepts and patterns that help us organize our world. From farming to fashion, we can understand any field through acquiring, connecting, and transferring conceptual relationships. We hope this podcast will inspire teachers and students to design creative solutions to complex problems and accelerate innovation in today's schools. If you're interested in our work, you can find out more at edtosavetheworld.com. This week on the show, we are trying something new. Trevor and I are rotating co-hosting duties with our core team members from the Learning That Transfers team. This week features co-host Nichelle Pinkney, who is our social studies specialist and currently works as an instructional coach and curriculum specialist for a large school district in Texas. Hi, Nichelle. Hey, Julie. So glad to be here. So this conversation was pretty special. We had two guests on to discuss diversity, equity, and inclusion, but it really was to me about the Black experience. And I personally learned so much. I'm still thinking about a lot. I'm still thinking about the concept of validation of different people's experiences, validation of different people's views of what professionalism is, of what success is, and even of what is possible. Uh, So Nichelle, what was your big takeaway from our chat? What I loved is how they were so unapologetically Black. Mm -hmm. In a time when many failed to be, they just were. Mm -hmm. The idea that despite the historical oppression of Blacks, we have the opportunity to imagine new possibilities and unearth so many levels of potential through studying and celebrating Black culture and ingenuity. The current status quo right now that we're living in was once radically imagine by white folks like mm. of race and racism mm. like everything that we we define as common sense reality was someone's uh, imagined idea of how the world should be it was mm. created it was invented if we're looking at race someone radically imagined these racial categories mm. and uh, adrian marie brown she says we're living in the home of someone else's imagination. Mm. Uh, mm. So even even current reality that that is based in tradition at one point had to be constructed. Mm. Uh, so to me, if it had to be constructed and invented, it can be reinvented mm-hmm. and reimagined, mm-hmm. and, and not just reformed. It can be dismantled and built again. Mm. I simply love the idea of imagining the type of reality, the type of community we can build, one that honors the inherent dignity and worth of every human being, one where all people are able to fully be who they truly are, one where people seldom use power to dominate or control other people's lives. And this conversation was a great part of my personal journey in trying to help to bring that type of reality to life. We hope you enjoy. Our guests this week are Darnell Fine and Jessica Jones. Darnell and Jessica work together as educators at a larger international school in Southeast Asia. Darnell is an instructional coach, consultant, and facilitative leader of adult learning. Jessica is a social justice-oriented science educator and a former adult facilitator of culturally responsive teaching in Charlotte, North Carolina in the USA. Welcome, Darnell and Jessica. 
Yeah, thank you for having us. It's great to be here. We are so excited to have you guys. So really, you know, as we, as you guys know, we've talked about this before and um, our listeners who regularly listen know that the purpose of this podcast is to attempt to get at sort of the core of complex topics. And we're talking about diversity, equity, and inclusion today, which is, I mean, I don't know if you get more complex than that. Um, so we always ask our guests to give us like three words to get at the core of their topic. And so your words are amazing. Before I even say what they are, uh, can you guys just talk about how you, your conversation among the two of you to, to sort of decide on your words? Yeah, so, um, so I think it was super organic. Like we just had, we were like 15 minutes during lunch and we're just like, okay, you know, what, what words are coming to your mind? And then I think it took us maybe like four days to nail down the three words. Mm -hmm. And it was just bouncing ideas off of one another. Um, we wanted it to be positive and, you know, share the, the great things about the experience of being black while also being authentic to that experience and being able to um, articulate the multifacetedness of blackness. And so, mm. Yeah, so these three words, uh, in my mind, really came together to show all the sides of what it means to be Black. Yeah, and, and the words are our joy, imagination, and rage. And one of the things that we talked about was how, like, with any concept, like abstract concept, it's supposed to be cross-cutting and universalizing across multiple mm -hmm. cultures. Mm -hmm. But sometimes what gets invisibilized in that conversation is... Uh, a black lens. I don't mm. want to say Afrocentric, but uh, a black lens in those uh, particular conversations. So we talked about how all concepts we approach have an invisible racial modifier of black in front of them. Mm. And with that phantom like modifier, we don't feel the need to emphasize that because mm. in a lot of our conversations together, when we're in, in affinity with one another, it goes unstated. Mm. Like our, our default is the black experience because mm -hmm. we're black. Mm -hmm. When the two of you were talking to each other. Yeah, well, yeah, when we're talking to each other, like there's not much code switching. <laughs> uh, I, I think Jessica's one of the, the people at our school that's like a person where I can be my full self with. Mm -hmm. Wow. And I think those moments where I'm able to be my full self in a professional space, um, with Darnell, like in my mind, sometimes I'm like, okay, I'm not turning this off, even when I'm going to have conversations with my white coworkers. Mm -hmm. So just having that person to check in with to affirm like my blackness, my experience as a black woman is real. Mm -hmm. So I don't need to like code switch. I'm finding myself doing that less and less in white spaces mm -hmm. or non-black spaces. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So when approaching these concepts, like I think diversity, equity, and inclusion as concepts they're for me a euphemism for something deeper so what is Ooh. being unstated mm. and, and for me joy imagination and rage <laughs> that's what's being unstated it's being sugar-coated mm. with concepts like diversity equity and inclusion and I think Jessica's a, a frequency checker for me she's like if, if gaslighting is on one end of the spectrum mm. like, like Jessica helps me check my reality and remind me uh, of, of things like that, of not needing to speak in euphemistic terms, but saying what's, what's real and, and bringing that to the forefront. 
So uh, this is this is a, such an interesting experience because we're doing this audio, but we can see each other. So our listeners, I think most of you know that like we do this via video just to record, but then it, only the audio comes out. So I just want to paint a picture for our, our listeners who can't quite see what's happening here. So I am sitting here and I, and I am I am white and my co-host is Nichelle Pinckney, who is black and the two the two of you and I, Nichelle keeps nodding her head to everything you guys are saying. <laughs> And I'm a little bit like not quite sure I'm totally following, um, which I think is kind of a cool way to start this conversation. Um, so, Nichelle, I don't know if you want to if you want to jump in with with something that you were thinking um, as they were speaking. So I loved the idea that you started talking about the fact of the euphemism of what is unstated, because mm. a lot of times I feel like um, in the environments we're in, we tend to not be able to state what we really want to say, but we have to go roundabout. Like we're like, you know, mm. roundabout. And um, depending on the environment we're in, um, we can't sometimes bring out our blackness. And I love that you pointed that out, Julie, the fact that mm. you're like, you're seeing me like nodding, like I'm I'm having a moment over here. And mm -hmm. she's looking like, okay. Mm -hmm, I'm like, do I, I fully it. grasp what they're saying? Maybe. <laughs> I totally Let's see grasped I everything they said. <laughs> so, but. You talked about being positive with their three words and three concepts, but of course, I'm pretty sure our listeners heard the words. They heard joy, they heard imagination, and then they heard the word at the end and they heard the word rage. And the thing is like, well, how can that word, how can that concept be positive? So do you guys want to elaborate on that? I can start off. Okay. So I, I got a lot. With, with, I figured with you did. Um, <laughs> so first of all, uh, a lot of times um, we view certain words or certain emotions as being kind of negative emotions, mm. it, like like sadness or like mm -hmm. anger, etc. Mm -hmm. But those are also words that can activate learning mm. and activate growth mm. and, and feed our soul. Mm -hmm. So. First off, like when I when I think of rage, it's generative. It, mm. it, it helps me grow. But I'm also thinking about James Baldwin, who said to be black in America, to paraphrase, is to be in a constant state of rage mm. based on the circumstances that are going on. And I'm also thinking about uh, Bell Hooks, who talks about killing rage mm. and how that rage in response to the conditions that we live in and the material and historical uh, circumstances that we deal with is needed for mm. our survival. I'm thinking about Dr. Martin Luther King, who said uh, a riot is the language of, of the unheard. Mm. So like that rage is something that feeds my learning, but that rage is also a response to the conditions and the systems that I exist in. Mm. And it's positive to not be silent and, and mm. complicit in my own, my own oppression Mm. when when things are going on all around the world so for me that's a positive thing like rage is my protest language mm. rage is what what prompts evokes learning and provokes learning and provokes questioning mm. it, it allows me to speak truth to power and I can think about just like my family history of of when my great grandfather was a sharecropper in Arkansas and they used to say the overseer was sitting on his horse in the cotton mill and would talk down to him and he would speak back up with mm. rage in his voice. 
Mm. So it's rage is resistance, it's liberation, and it's a practice of freedom for me. Wow. Yeah, um, and I think we see that um, so often because we see how Black rage is so heavily policed and mm. suppressed because we know that's the that's what's going to move the dial for us. Mm. Um, so it's this constant like we have systems around suppressing and medicating black rage mm. because as Darnell said, like that truly is where we're going to find our freedom. And so I guess to explain how it feels positive for me is because I know just being in a position to where I can be enraged and I can show that, that's letting me know that I'm getting further and further to, you know, the the freedom that my ancestors fought for and dreamed about. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, you aren't gonna like, dismantle the, um, the paraphrasing here, the oppressor's home using the oppressor's tools. That's not gonna happen. So mm -hmm. for them to constantly try to take this rage away from us, we know that's truly, that's where the power is. Mm -hmm. About like this idea of who is allowed to express rage and who is mm -hmm. not, mm -hmm. like and and whose whose uh, standards are we prioritizing? So um, I'm borrowing from a sociolinguistic uh, phrase, but to me, like passion is just rage with the with the uh, with the navy and an army. Like mm -hmm. who has the power to define their passion? And their response to certain conditions as being legitimate. Mm. And we get to naturalize that as a common sense emotion. Uh, but when it when when black folks are expressing emotion, not just rage, but other emotions, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. like those those emotions are police mm. and, and, and they're looked at differently. Uh, like just norms of professionalism mm -hmm. don't always allow us to in generative and productive ways to express our anger without being stereotyped mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. and that and and that's purposeful that that rage is politicized uh all the way back to the reconstruction era and the mm -hmm. american south when, mm -hmm. when folks were afraid of black folks rising up and, and taking their freedom you can mm -hmm. look at uh the haitian revolution and see how folks were perceiving the Haitian Revolution and, and uh, as as being dangerous, mm -hmm. but what about the default existence of Black folks imposed on white by white supremacist structures? Mm -hmm. Those are also dangerous, but they get naturalized as common sense reality. And I think about as you were saying that, like I think back to Charlottesville, where we had these mob of angry white men with tiki torches mm -hmm. and it's oh they're protesting they're they're so unheard we need to listen to these people and even like the tea party you know before we change into whatever you know more palatable phrase for their racism it was oh they're just so unheard you know they're angry all these things but then when black people are gunned down and we go to um the capital and say hey hear us we're losing our people it's oh it's a riot yeah, you know, mm -hmm. what, oh, these, these hoodlums and thugs, you mm -hmm. know, and all these like coded language that we yeah. know at the end of the day is just them avoiding that word, but yeah. yeah. It was old, old boy um, on the Supreme Court, the new one who was having his like hearing his Brett. Oh, yeah. Kavanaugh. 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 But like, I saw clips, like he was, he was going he was enraged he was like, he was mad he was definitely yeah, yeah, yeah you, no, you could say that could you imagine Clarence Thomas like yeah. back, could you imagine Barack Obama 
or, or any politician expressing that type of, of rage in that arena. Yeah. Uh, this is, you, you know, you're talking about double standards. You're talking, there's so many concepts sort of come into my mind, stereotypes, as you guys said before. Um, and I, I, I like this phrase. I don't like this phrase. It's just interesting to me, uh, policing our emotions. I'm the mom of two small kids. And I know I saw Darnell, you're doing a, a session at the Toddle Inquiry Summit about sort of adult supremacy, a sort of adults. I'm thinking about this concept. I'm thinking about the word control and power and how I use that over my two children and how I'm constantly in this sort of struggle with, I shouldn't say struggle. I'm just asking myself these questions that I feel like my parents' generation didn't ask. Uh, you know, it was just the parent is the boss, the kid is subservient, period. Um, and so it's just these questions of, of how do we let emotions be? And I, I think that this is thankfully more normalized in sort of uh, parenting psychology or, and teachers as well, of just like, let's help kids regulate and not, uh, feel bad about natural emotions, everybody, everybody, if it would be weird, if you didn't feel sad, it would be weird if you didn't feel rage. Uh, it would be weird if you didn't feel anger. And those are all, you know, very natural emotions. And so I, I don't know if you guys want to say anything uh, more about that. Um, I just, I just liked that and, and wanted to, to sort of bring it back up of, of the idea of policing people's emotions and how does that play out? Um, maybe in the classroom, maybe in your work settings, uh, maybe in your, in your lives. I would love to hear, um, more about sort of this policing of emotions. Mm -hmm. I mean, I know I brought it up, but do you want to start off? Uh, okay, I can start off. I think oftentimes when we think about norms or working agreements, they're often weaponized to tone police people who may may disagree. Mm. And I think there's mm. an added layer um, when you look at when you look at um, blackness or when you when you look at race. I think oftentimes in my experience growing up. Um, there was an assumption of criminality. Like when I walk in stores, I'm following. Mm, mm. Uh, there's an assumption of criminality when I'm walking on the sidewalk and people clutch their purses mm. or they lock, they lock their car doors. Mm. And that assumption of criminality doesn't leave. Like when I enter into a school, not just um, being blatantly racially profiled by security guards uh, mm -hmm. at different schools, but policed in regards to my tone as if my tone is breaking a norm or mm -hmm. a working agreement mm -hmm. and and people having to check me or or put me in my place so mm -hmm. I, I think that that happens quite a bit and, and sometimes it's unconscious right. and sometimes it's subtle it's right. it's it, it, it reminds me of when teachers used to correct my black English vernacular and mm. say ain't ain't a word. Mm. Well, ain't is a word in my emotions and what I'm feeling is legitimate and it mm. doesn't have to fit in your standard way of being. Mm. And, and we don't have to be culturally relativist about everything. Like mm. we, we do have to have some shared values, mm. but at the same time, a lot of those values of how we interact with each other, they're, they're arbitrary and they're unnecessary. Mm. Yeah, and I think oftentimes they don't feel um, comfortable to be culturally as a Black person. So um, I think about uh, professional norms where it's, you know, always 
think the best intentions, you know, whenever a colleague mm -hmm. speaks or you mm -hmm. have an interaction with a student. And so I find that that's been restricted for me and calling out like, hey, this is like racist, this is violent, this is something that was said to me or done to me. Mm -hmm. And it's like, oh, well, maybe that's not what they meant. Mm -hmm. And so I think, um, you know, just in the system of whiteness, which we know is global, mm -hmm. um, even in spaces white people aren't dominant, the mm. culture of white supremacy yeah. is still very much emulated and dominant. Mm. Um, so those things carry over. Mm. And so um, I think as you were talking, like the ways in which you've had to uh, teach your children to, you know, listen to you and not have to explain certain things to them. I just think about how, um, how that's different in a black household where it's like literally a matter of life and death if you don't mm. teach your children to bow down to these authoritative figures mm -hmm. outside mm -hmm. of your home. Mm -hmm. And so we see that time and time again, where if you don't heed the warning of a police officer, you could mm -hmm. be shot in the back or you could be shot in the head. Like, you mm -hmm. know, all these horrific things could happen to you. Mm -hmm. And so that violence isn't just out, you know, and it doesn't just stop once we get to the schoolhouse gate. It continues mm -hmm. into those spaces as well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, those respectability politics that we have to follow. Um, mm -hmm. Sometimes it's a survival strategy. Sometimes mm. I'm speaking English a certain way so that I can survive an encounter, the, mm. the encounter mm. uh, or, or gain access to a particular institution. Uh, mm. But if I'm out, if we're having dinner, you're imposing <laughs> your respectability politics on me, or if I'm just in my classroom or we're engaged in conversation and you try to impose your respectability politics on me, why? Like, mm. why are you mm -hmm. My existence. Mm. Especially mm. if you understood what I meant. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah you knew what I meant. Like, communication mm -hmm. is not <laughs> But you're this like, oh, you shouldn't say it like that. I think we're getting, we're starting to to move into joy, I think. Um, and because, you know, the, just the, Nichelle is even laughing, watching the two of you sort of look at each other and, and have that quick exchange. Um, and it reminds me of, uh, I'm I'm from Louisiana. And so I, even though I'm white, I feel like I have a lot of these experiences you all are speaking about because people from Louisiana in the context of the United States are very emotional. We're very emotive. Uh, I do think there is some black experience that influences the culture of Louisiana. Um, and so it, just as you guys are talking, I'm like, oh, when I'm with my family, you, you I do not talk how I'm speaking right now. <laughs> um, we speak Cajun French, we, we cuss, we, you know, we have all kinds of different ways that we, we interact. So I imagine most listeners can, can relate to that. Um, but let's sort of go into, um, Nisha, unless you wanted to come back to this, I don't know if you have any, um, anything you wanted to say or ask related to, to what they were speaking about. No. I just, I liked the aspect when you brought up the policing of emotions and they talked about, um, we went into the, they talked about what it looks like um, in the classroom. Cause I loved the idea mm -hmm. of expressing um, some of the things that we don't think about. Like when we are in the, when we're as educators in the classroom where we're outside dealing with our um, other members and that idea of we have to hope for the best when um, the idea or the norm is that like she said, oh, oh, that it's not meant that way. But then when when we say things, it is not normally accepted with the best intentions. Mm. So then it's like it's not, it doesn't work both ways. So mm. I'm supposed to be okay with you saying, Oh, your hair looks so big today. 
And mm. I'm supposed to express the good intention that you've realized that lately mm. my hair is no longer processed, that this is what it looks like in the morning. Mm. And mm. I'm supposed to be like, thank you very much. It is big today. Like you, mm. you don't know what to say mm. at that point, because in your head it's like, is that really a good intention? Because mm. it's, it's big every day. Like it's, mm. it's going to be bigger than yours. So mm. what is, what am I supposed to say to that? So I like the idea that we're talking about this idea of it is a form of policing emotions, even something as simple as I have to agree that you meant the best intention when everyone in the room knows that it wasn't appropriate. And mm. so I'm supposed to sit back and be okay with this emotion that I have that's not good. But then, so then when we talk about, like you said, we're going into this joy moment because we literally had that moment where we're like, this is what it is. But then we both, the, all, they looked at each other and I just felt like I'm in the room with them looking at them like, yeah, but we know what they meant. <laughs> and so we are excited about it because we we look at each other like, we all got that. Okay, so now how do we have a teachable moment here? And mm -hmm. all keep our jobs at the same time. And <laughs> <laughs> sometimes it's not even teaching. Like, I love being in a meeting. It's like a superpower to be able to break the fourth wall mm. and look over at, at a colleague who gets it. Mm. And, and a lot of it is, it, it, you know, about like with another Black colleague, but we'll give each other that look and mm. we'll, we'll break the fourth wall and mm. then we'll keep it moving. And it's, it is like we... Du Bois calls it the gift of a second sight, but he also calls it a curse, that double consciousness, to be able to see yourself through different eyes. But mm. I think it's something powerful when you are experiencing that double consciousness, like alongside someone else who's also seeing mm. the same thing you're seeing. It's, yeah. it's validating, mm -hmm. like it's a joyful moment. So part, like when a microaggression like that happens, it's, there's a micro validation of being in, in company or, or in the room with someone else who's also bearing witness to that. Mm -hmm. And I think I said earlier, it's the opposite of gaslighting. It's that, it's that frequency check of saying, okay, I'm mm -hmm. not alone. And mm -hmm. we don't even have to say anything. We can just, we don't even have to nod our heads. We mm -hmm. can just look each other in the eye. And then that's that. There's, mm -hmm. that, there's that telepathic connection. Mm -hmm. And I will say lately with everything that's been going on that I am starting to experience a portion of that moment with my colleagues that are not black, that are really into what is going on. I, what is, um, I found myself sometimes even calling Julie and saying, okay, I really need you to let me understand because I, I really don't think, and she's just sitting there and then she starts, she doesn't even, she starts completing my sentence. Like, no, 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 that is. And I'm like, yes, Julie, you are on the, you are getting it. Like, and, and so even we're not in the same location, but the idea is that I am seeing other people start to, maybe not at the level that we're going to have it, but they're starting to not, I want, I wish it was more. I'm not going to lie. I'm not saying mm -hmm. this is like this whole, no, it's not a lot, but it's just those inklings. And you're like, yes, you do get it. And mm -hmm. I can totally see that, that they get it. And it's like, okay, so I'm not, cause sometimes, and unfortunately, sometimes I'm in rooms where I don't have the mm. connection that you guys have mm. and I'm like okay and then I just see that one person across the room that's given the same look and I'm like oh, they they're doing it too and they're like sitting there looking you can see them writing and then they lean back like and I'm like thank you like it's not just mm -hmm. me 
<laughs> so I, I, I don't want our listeners to think, oh, wait, this is just a, you know, a black thing. No, it's not. It's starting mm-hmm. to get people to realize what's going in, what's going on and actually either questioning it, wanting to know more, genuinely wanting to know more mm-hmm. and wanting to accept ownership of no, this isn't right. So what, what happens in that process? Because I know for me, that part is starting to bring me that joy that we're talking about. Like, okay, even if they're asking those questions, like they're starting to come in the circle and say, okay, I got to ask this because I need to ask this because I am in a situation and I need to make sure that I am not that person. Or if I am, I need to, how do I go back and self-correct myself? How do I, how do I make sure that I am not the one making you feel like this every meeting? And I'm just Mm. like, yeah, so I love that word validate as almost, you know, I love to sort of see it as like the counter side to gaslighting. If our listeners don't know what that is, I don't know. I don't know if I'm the best person to, to define it. Uh, but the idea that, you know, it's kind of acting as if someone, your reality is not reality and you're the one who's crazy when actually the, and it's usually associated with some sort of control and violence over another person, um, making them feel like they're the one who who's sort of psychologically mistaken. And so I think the other side of that, the word validation is ringing in my ears right now. I love that. And and thank you, Nichelle, for that. As, as much as I could be validating to people to say, no, you are not crazy. That person is crazy. Um, that person is being, is being aggressive and violent towards you um, is ringing in my ears. Anything else you guys want to say about joy? Yeah. So I just wanted to add on. So Nichelle, I've recently had uh, a similar experience Um, as you did with a non-Black person reaching that aha moment. And so they came to me and we were all watching something together and they came to me afterwards and they were like, the whole time I was watching that, I just kept thinking, what would Jessica think about this? Mm. And so I'm like, okay, tell me, what do you think I would think? And she hit on many of the points. And so that that did bring me joy. Like, okay, something's happening here. Um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, of course I thought about the amount of emotional, the amount of labor it took for me to get this one person to that point. Mm -hmm. Um, But it did bring me a bit of joy to see, okay, some things are sticking. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. And then for me, like every space that I'm in, especially if it's a, a white dominant space, I have to seek out community. Mm-hmm. I there will be no joy for me if I cannot find community to have those little moments because you know being in this world as a black person and you're constantly being gaslit that what you're seeing with your own two eyes and you know what you feel is not reality. Mm-hmm. You know you need mm-hmm. someone to be like, yeah, I saw that too. And so that's just been, that's been super joyful for me. And I've always had to seek those, um, those people out I trust to say, Hey, you're not alone. I see what you see. Um, because oftentimes, like, let's say if I encounter something that's racist, it's a feeling. And sometimes it's not tangible to where I can describe it to someone else. It's just Mm -hmm. as a black person in this white space, you, it's just something you feel. I'm Mm -hmm. not sure how articulate that verbally but you know being able to be be in community with other black people who have those similar similar like spidey senses mm. happening yeah mm. that spidey senses i like that <laughs> and, and i call those i used to call those moments like epiphanies of freedom mm. and they used to be more kind of fleeting and, and you never know you never knew when they were going to come up 
but I've been more intentional about curating spaces and, and ensuring that I have those moments. Uh, and I don't wanna say kind of like in intentional ways, but yeah, sometimes my interactions are deliberate. Mm. Like, I'm like, some, I, I know when Jessica eats lunch mm. <laughs> and, I, mm-hmm. and, and I'll stop by and go, hey, how's it going? Like checking mm-hmm. in. Mm-hmm. Uh, I see you, like you see me, we're in the space together and mm. not with any like set outcome, but recognizing that when we're in space together, it feels a bit more liberating. Mm. And I think, I think there's, there's so much representation now of, of black experience and black life. Uh, but that rep- representation is not always enough, um, First off, all skin folk ain't king folk. Mm. Like just because you are black doesn't necessarily mean we're going to connect on an mm. intimate level, mm. uh, and, and that's important. Just because you're a, you are also a person of color doesn't mean you're going to understand that very subtle experience of what it's like to to interact with your fact of blackness mm. in a particular space. Mm. Um, but so much representation. Uh, outside of just physically being in the space with another Black person, um, a lot of it is centered around trauma mm-hmm. and mm. centered around pain. Mm. And, and that's heavy to hold mm-hmm. all of that pain. So if I'm watching a movie and, and it's trauma, trauma-based trauma or pain-based, that's tough. Like, mm-hmm. that's not enough for me. Mm-hmm. But for me, like also having black joy is an act of resistance and, and liberation. Like mm. I want to, I want to see versions of myself and experiences of, of blackness outside of pain and victimhood mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. I think it gives me something else to desire and and, and look for in life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Darnell, you really push my thinking around that of how it looks in the curriculum that I'm teaching my students. So oftentimes I found myself bringing that black victimhood into the center of the curriculum that I'm delivering to my students. Mm. So I wasn't showing them black joy and just overcoming. It was always Mm. like, oh, these are horrific things that have happened. Let's find a solution as opposed to solutions have been found by the people who are most impacted by Mm. this issue. Mm. Um, So that's been powerful for me. a Lucille Clifton poem, it's called Come Celebrate With Me. And it says, for everything that didn't kill me, like it's something to the effect, I'm paraphrasing, for what didn't kill me and and has made me stronger, come celebrate with me. Mm -hmm. So it's important to recognize that our history, not just in the United States, but in the diaspora, where where anti-blackness is pervasive and, and violent, um, we are still here and we're mm-hmm. still thriving and it's something to be joyful for and mm-hmm. it's something to celebrate. It's mm-hmm. something to give thanks to like for our ancestors who mm-hmm. somehow uh, made it out of the conditions that they were in to to be able to reconnect all the way in, in, in Singapore. Mm-hmm. I, I wasn't supposed to say what country we we're in, but <laughs> in, in this country in Southeast Asia. But yes, so yeah, like that. It's it's a moment of celebration, and I try to find moments of joy every single day. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And even changing the rubric around what's worthy of celebrating. Yes. Mm. So yes. I think about, um, I believe it was Alice Walker. She talked about how she went to the Smithsonian uh, Museum and she saw these quilts that um, a share a sharecropper, a black sharecropper's wife had mm-hmm. hand sewn with scraps and bits from, you know, mm-hmm. rags that her children, you know, discarded or whatever. Mm-hmm. And it was in the Smithsonian. And of course, you know, the name of the woman who did this work was unknown, but I'm like, wow, you know, at the time, did she think that this quilt she was making to keep someone warm or using what she has to give offer as a gift to someone that it would be in the Smithsonian mm. being viewed by people all around the world and appreciated. Mm. So I think, I think about where are those moments right now mm. that are actually happening where we're missing it because we, our rubric around greatness is very white centered. Mm. Yeah. And, and the ideas of black excellence, mm-hmm. mm. like don't clap for me just because I got into an Ivy league school. Like, <laughs> like, and, and we hear this, like, this, like, like, this kind of like saying of giving me the confidence of a mediocre white man. Mm. And it's and basically what it's saying is like, we just need to be more confident and motivated, but we have to work twice as hard to get half as far mm. and have all of these different degrees and all of these different experiences and to have done this fellowship over in France or mm. to go to this particular school that you want to send your kids to. Mm. But like when redefining the rubric of what's acceptable beyond the standards of, of whiteness, mm. like, like, dang, your handwriting looks good. Mm. Like, wow, like, <laughs> Like, I like those shoes. Mm. That's black excellence too. Mm. Or, or or any kind of mundane thing or experience should mm-hmm. be also be cause for celebration. Yeah. Mm. And what's, what's, what's also funny is when those things get appropriated. That's what I was yeah. Oh, go ahead, go no, ahead, jump no, in. No, you're, okay, jump in. so I just wanted to add, like finding value in those things when they're still ours in the black community. Mm. Because you know, growing up, you know, Air Force Ones, those were like the shoes, like, mm-hmm. you know, I begged my grandfather to buy me a pair. He wasn't spending $75 on a pair. <laughs> now they're more. Um, but mm-hmm. at the time, it was just, you know, that's just what the black kids wore. You got mm-hmm. fresh pair of ones. And mm-hmm. now everywhere I look, even here in this country we are in now, all the kids are wearing Air Force Ones. And mm-hmm. I played Nelly Air Force Ones mm. to my students, and they were like, <laughs> I heard them like, what the is that? I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm mm-hmm. like, this is our stuff. I want mm-hmm. you to know. Mm-hmm. You know, let's celebrate it while it's still Black people's, you know? So, mm. definitely. The mm. idea that they, that they, um, they had a whole Twitter thing, a whole Twitter war in regards to that one example with the Air Force ones. Like Nelly just came out the blue on Twitter, like, uh, oh, no, dude, hold up. <laughs> let me let me go back to this and uh-huh. just had a whole moment. My my nieces are in a younger age group, and they were like, "Who?" And I was like, "What?" Playing the song. I even I think I even went and put on some and started. Anyway, love it. <laughs> love it. Is to let them know. <laughs> Wait, mm-hmm. no, your guy didn't come up with this. No, this is what this is where it started. Like yeah. when it started. I think that the the concept of reappropriation, I believe, was the word that Jessica used. Is so mm-hmm. is so so important um, to really recognize the origin of all of these things. I think that's you're really getting into our last concept, which is imagination. Um, so you guys sh- selected rage, joy, imagination. That that was the order we went in um, because Nichelle wanted to hear about rage first. Um, 
but can you guys tell us about imagination? What does that mean to you? Why did you pick that word? You want me to go first? You can go first. Uh, there, there's so much. Mm. And, and mm. imagination brings me so much joy. And, mm. and I think a lot of times our imagination is generated from a place of rage and wanting to mm. engineer uh, to engineer solutions to problems, mm. having a problem-based mindset. But also, and, I, and I, I've been trying to be real intentional about not centering whiteness, but I will for the start of this. Um, the current status quo right now that we're living in was once radically imagined by white folks, like mm. of race and racism, mm. like everything that we we define as common sense reality was someone's uh, imagined idea of how the world should be. It was mm. created. It was invented. If we're looking at race, someone radically imagined these racial categories. Mm. And uh, Adrienne Marie Brown, she says we're living in the home of someone else's imagination. Mm. Uh, mm. So even, even current reality that, that is based in tradition at one point had to be constructed. Mm. Uh, so to me, if it had to be constructed and invented, it can be reinvented mm -hmm. and reimagined. Mm -hmm. and, and not just reformed, it can be dismantled and built again. Mm. And I'm thinking about all of the different Black revolutionaries in history that did reimagine things. If mm. I brought up race in the idea of this like one drop rule, if you look at Haiti in 1801 and their mm. uh, constitution, you look at article 12 said, um, white people cannot own property in Haiti. Mm. And mm. article 13 said something to the effect of anyone can be naturalized as a Haitian citizen. Mm. And article 14 said, all Haitians are black. Mm, completely mm. transpose like those racial categories mm, mm. Uh, and redefine like the hierarchy as it relates to race. Mm. Uh, that to me in 1801, mm. like mm -hmm. to reconstruct that, like is absolutely genius. Mm. Mm. So I think back, like for me, the most positive, like joyful moment in this conversation came when we started talking about Air Force Ones and kind of reminiscing like, mm. you know, like, oh, you know, so it was great on that. And I just like, for me, Blackness is just so amazing and so lit and just the mm. things that we come up with. I'm like, literally going into that, what Darnell just said, someone imagined this hierarchy where globally, Black people or anti-Blackness is going to be, you know, the most super powerful, even in spaces where we don't see white people, anti-Blackness is still there. And so for us to wake up and say, okay, you know, I'm going to create this amazing uh, quilt from, from scraps mm -hmm. of mm -hmm. fabric. Yeah. You know, we have Black kids in these intentionally underserved neighborhoods who are flipping in a field doing these amazing gymnastics mm -hmm. and they may never see the Olympics, which, yep. you know, that's kind of using whiteness as the rubric again. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I've watched videos where people just going to the skating rink are doing flips and these amazing black people are doing these amazing things. And so I'm just like, I don't even know how to name 
what mm -hmm. happens out of our minds, like a collection of all these experiences to say like, we are going to not only survive, but we're gonna thrive, you know? Mm. And we're so powerful that our imagination is a commodity where yes. we have, you know, corporations led by white people or led under these white supremacist ideals, they look to us to say, okay, this is what's going to be popular mm. next month, mm -hmm. next year. And then they come in and take that. Um, when I saw on the fashion runway, you know, people had like gold rings on all their fingers and these long acrylic nails. And they're like, oh, like, you know, Gucci is setting a trend. I'm like, no. What satin something? The satin headscarf. Yeah. That's a do-rag. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> like, as we sleep, we put, you know, mm -hmm. like satin bonnet on our head we're just sleeping we're trying to protect our mm -hmm. hair and mm -hmm. next thing we know on runways in italy and all these places so i'm just like wow like we are so powerful and mm -hmm. i think as we tap into that rage and saying hey we aren't going to you know fit into this neat box that some someone you know imagined for us you know, I'm just excited to see, you know, how not only we transform our communities, but how we transform the world. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I think as we get rid of anti-Blackness and racism, it's not just uplifting the Black community. We're unlocking all of our gifts and we mm -hmm. have so much and, and to how, offer. Yeah, and yeah. how many problems can't get solved? And, and I'm, I'm thinking about yeah. like this metaphor of when I was in, when I was in the fifth grade or, or it was, could have been the fourth grade, my earth science teacher said, that um, folks were going to the Amazon and, and the deforestation could be, could be uh, taking away these valuable plants that could have the cure for cancer. Mm -hmm. and, and I think about the deforestation of black experience. Mm -hmm. Like you're not like, we're not resources to be tapped into, mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. there, there's genius within our communities that exist. And, and because our communities are overexploited mm -hmm. and under-resourced, we can't offer the gifts that we have to the world. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. and, and I think right now it, it, it was an anti-racist summer and an anti-racist year and DEI was the topic of a lot of conversation. But the concepts that have been explored this year, they're old. Yeah, indeed. The world has been doing that since 1901. Oh like, man, I wish, I wish we're gonna have to we're gonna with your permission, we're gonna have to put that clip on YouTube because uh <laughs> Michelle, Michelle was like hallelujah. Not with a new her, thing with her body Not language when he said that's old. Um yeah, you but know thanks for acknowledging it, but get <laughs> around. Uh yeah, indeed, indeed. Amen to that you know that the idea that people are saying in these you know oh this is new to us we're, we're still just trying to figure out what's going on um that is enraging from my perspective so i can't even imagine from yours um okay so we're wrapping up here nichelle do you feel like you uh we, we could i could we gotta have you back on obviously this needs to be a part two um in, in maybe a few months if that's okay with you guys but um you know, there's just so much swirling around in my mind, but I want you guys to have have the final word. So uh, each of the three of you, whatever swirling around in your mind, whatever you want to leave our listeners with, um, this was an amazing conversation already. Um, but I just kind of want to give you guys each each an opportunity to to uh, sort of say whatever you want to say. I I can't find the quote anywhere I look, mm. um, but 
I've looked Google Books. I've tried to do the the search features with mm-hmm. the quotation marks. I can't find it. So just believe me in saying that Toni Morrison said something to the effect of, like, these conversations can't just be thought experiments. Mm. Like they have, like they have to manifest in, in real life. It's not just us grappling with concepts. And my, um, I guess my uh, my critique of of concept based curricula is that sometimes teachers don't ground it in history or the mm. historical level with mm. those different examples. Mm. So when we're exploring concepts of joy, imagination, and rage, it's not simply as a thought experiment. It's it's thinking about the actual consequences they've had in history so mm. that we can shape our, our current circumstances. Mm. And as cl- classroom educators or school leaders, how do these concepts, these things look embedded in the curriculum? Mm-hmm. And, and mm-hmm. not just a professional learning conversation with other adults engaging in, in conversation, but how does this look when we're, when we're disrupting curriculum violence for black and brown students in your classroom mm. so that they feel seen, so that they can imagine, so that they can experience joy and that mm-hmm. their rage is embraced and loved and not appropriated for a television show, mm. but given value and seen as a legitimate way of, of expressing themselves. Mm-hmm. Love that. Uh, yeah, so I'll say, um, going back to like curriculum in the classroom, like oftentimes when we have these conversations around DEI and, you know, uh, making sure all students are represented in what's being presented to them. Um, it's like, you know, oh, this is like an add-on. This is an elective. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've seen where some schools will have like some sort of rubric to measure teachers on, you know, basic classroom management and rigor in the class, all these things. Mm-hmm. And then a separate one for like DEI. Mm-hmm. And I feel like if you are a good teacher, if you are committed to education and improving the outcomes for children, which we all go into this field for, Mm -hmm. if you are not having conversations around um, non-white joy, imagination, rage, then I want to push back on how good of a teacher you really are. Mm. Good teaching Mm. is being sure every child is represented in the curriculum Mm. in a full um, full way. Mm. And so I think, um, you know, even the words that we chose today, joy, imagination, rage, like that tells such a beautiful full story mm. of these, um, these non-white communities or mm. communities that are, you know, facing oppression and systemic racism, sexism, ableism, all these things. Mm. Um, so, you know, use those words and seek out those stories um, to bring into your classroom. Mm. Like you, you, you don't have a choice. If you are a good teacher, you have to be doing these things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Love that. Love that. Thank y'all. <laughs> Thank you. Um, your example of deforestation was amazing because what I sat here and I thought about was the idea that when we we have unearthed a lot of things and we, even within our standards, wherever you are, um, it's, very, it's not being put back in. It's not being... Um, pieces are being put in back in. And so like what Jessica said, the idea of... Um, and you said this too, Darnell, that idea of that concept, and we're going to take this from this view of, oh, well, these concepts, we have to allow kids to acquire it with realistic and strong context that represent what is 
what not is in the room because people want to say what's in the room so then if the room is not black or brown then i don't need mm. to use it but that's mm. not true mm. we need to yes. embed it with the context of the world we live in mm. so then that means if i'm in a classroom and my classroom is not brown then that's okay because i need these kids to understand that guess what when they leave this environment there's brown people and they mm -hmm. did things to contribute to the world we're living in. Cause a lot of times we say about the kids that's in the room, mm -mm. Mm -hmm. we're talking mm -hmm. about in the world, mm -hmm. just in case you don't get to experience beyond that. And that's talking from the experience of growing up in communities where, and like you said, a whole nother conversation growing up in communities that are already segregated because of systemic laws that have already mm -hmm. been placed. Mm -hmm. So then I didn't get to see. So my teachers never allowed me to see what was in the room, but what was in the standards. But now we're sticking to what's in the room, mm -mm. what's in the world that we live in to be interconnected so that our kids know that it's more than what we see. So it's not just in your room. So acquire concepts with context that is realistic to the world that we currently live in right mm, now. Mm, mm. Very simple. Mm. I loved it. Listeners, they were snapping as Nichelle was talking right now and, and Jessica were snapping. So uh, this is amazing conversations. Um, so you, I know at least Darnell is everywhere. I see you on Twitter uh, going to all these different international schools. Jessica, I'm not sure if you're available for hire, um, but if people want to, to reach out, they want to get to know you, um, they want to maybe bring you into to their school to speak, where can people find you guys? Is it Twitter? Is it a website? Where was the best way? Yeah, so I'm on Twitter um, at Jess, J-E-S-S, the letter B, mm -hmm. knowing, K-N-O-W-I-N-G. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. okay. And I'm at D-E underscore fine, F-I-N-E. You can mm -hmm. find me there. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, but yeah, like, uh, you can't find me on LinkedIn. I try not to be too uh, super hyper visible. Uh, I, I'm an introvert oh. uh, and a constructive, so you probably won't you probably won't see me out there. But Jessica does a lot of work with uh, science and social justice curricula, as well as uh, interdisciplinary, transdisciplinary, and concept-based uh, curricula through the lens of science. She's one of the the best science teachers I've ever seen working through that particular lens, and I. You can just check my Twitter out. I, I, I do a lot of things around culturally responsive teaching uh, as well as diversity, equity, inclusion. So we look forward to connecting. Awesome, well, thank you guys so very much. What an amazing conversation. And uh, if okay with you, we will try to rope you into learning that transfers again sometime in the very near future. Uh, thank you, Nichelle, for co-hosting with me. You are a superstar co-host and uh, I hope you have an awesome day. Thank you guys so much for being here. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Conceptually Speaking. We hope you enjoyed the conversation and are coming away with a stronger grasp of the concepts and mental models that help us understand our world. If you like this podcast, feel free to like, comment, or subscribe on your favorite platform. If you want to learn more or get involved, check out our website at edtosavetheworld.com and join our Facebook group, Learning That Transfers.